Well, today we're going to start a new sermon series. We're going to walk through the fall where we're going to be studying the life of David. Now, obviously, David is uh, very well known. You look in scriptures. I mean, he's talked about a lot. In fact, uh, you know, probably more chapters are devoted to the life of David than anyone else in the Old Testament, uh, absent God himself. And so when you think about the context of David, like obviously we know a lot about David. And probably if I asked you, if I walked around and said, hey, tell me something you know about David. I think a lot of people would say, well, yeah, David, you know, he killed Goliath, right? You'd know that one, right? And you'd say, well, yeah, he was king of Israel. And, and you'd have lots of different stories about the life of David. You'd have, you know, lots of different stories, perhaps, of what uh, he went through during his reign and through his journey when, obviously, he had some familial challenges, to say the very least, in his relationships with his family. Like, you would have lots of stories, but what we're going to be doing starting today and kind of walking through is, yes, we're going to bring in some of those stories that are familiar, but we're also going to kind of incorporate into this journey like some maybe passages and things about him that you didn't know. Because when you think about being a person who is after God's own heart, that did not come simply because he killed Goliath with one stone out in a battlefield, right? He was a man after God's own heart because of what he did in the areas and the things and the stories that we don't know about. You know, when the flannel graphs are not being shared when we were little kids, when, you know, the, the, the stories that are not told by Bob the Tomato, you know, I mean, it, I mean we, we understand, right, that, that there's lots of parts of the life of David we don't understand. And so this fall, we're going to talk about the life of David, kind of have this understanding of recognizing how that we too can chase the heart of God. Because I, I think all of us, if we said, like, hey, do, do you really want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? I think the first answer would be yes. But then we recognize, like, behind that, like, it takes work. Like, we actually have to do something to be able to pull that off. And so that's what kind of we're going to focus on, right? And so today, what I want to do, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is a passage that, that talks about when David was anointed as king. And so I'm going to read the passage, and then I'm going to kind of share with you, like, some backstory, some context in what was taking place there. And then I'm just going to give you kind of a couple of quick applications that, that are applicable to our lives and our journeys, again, as we chase after the heart of God, okay? So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to read beginning with verse 1. We're going to read half of this chapter here today, and then next week we'll be in the second half of the chapter, and then uh, the following week we'll go to 1 Samuel 17, and we'll just go from there. So it says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I've selected a king from his sons. And Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will let you know what you are to do. You're to anoint for me the one that I indicate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord directed, and he went to Bethlehem. And when the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, Do you come in peace? In peace, he replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves, set yourselves apart, he said, and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. Eliab is, is Jesse's oldest son. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either. 
Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, The Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, The Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, Are these all the sons that you had? Well, they're still the youngest, he answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy and a handsome appearance. Then the Lord said, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lord said, anoint him for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. Now, let's talk a little bit about what happened here. So you know that Saul was the first king of Israel. When Israel had gone through the season and the time of Judges, there came a point, and you read through in the scriptures in 1 Samuel, in the first part of that book, where it came to a point where they rejected the Judges, and they wanted a king for themselves. And they said, listen, we want a king just like all the other nations we want a king. We want to be able to say that we have a king. We want to point to him. Now, obviously, to that point, the only king that they had was God. But they wanted to get beyond this idea of saying, well, our king, we have a king, but you know, he's in heaven. You can't see him because all the other nations, they said, well, make fun of us. And so we want to be like all the other nations, well, all the other tribes, like we want our own king. And so God granted them what they wished for. And they wished for a king. And Saul was chosen. And Samuel anointed Saul under God's direction to become the king of Israel. And we know the story of Saul. Like, so Saul started like pretty well. Like he was doing things the right way. He was walking the right path and walking the right journey and, and through his life. But then, as happens so often as we read through the stories of the kings of, of Israel, and to be quite honest with you, also the stories we read of present-day leaders also. It came a point when Saul began to veer off of the path, when he began to do things that he should not do and head in a direction that he should not go. And in fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, there came a point where God finally rejected Saul as king of Israel. Now, in that story in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God sent Samuel to Saul and told him, I want you to go and I want you uh, to battle, to fight the Amalekites. And I want you to destroy the Amalekites. And I want you, God said, to destroy everything that they have. Like not only destroy them, but destroy everything that they own, destroy all of their sheep and their cattle, everything that they own, kill them all because of what they've done. And so Saul, he, he took his army and he went and he went to battle and he did everything right. He, he did all the right stuff and he went in and obeyed God exactly the way that God through Samuel had told him to uh, go into battle. He did all of those things. But then in the last part of 1 Samuel chapter 15, you begin to read the story of what happened is that Saul and all the people, the army of Israel, that after they defeated the Amalekites, Saul kept their king, Agag, alive and then this little addendum that is there in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it says this, And they also kept the best of the sheep and the best of the cattle, the best of their crops, but then they destroyed all the things that were of no value. So in other words, you can see the problem here, right? You can see that what Saul did is he disobeyed God. Because God said to destroy everything, but yet Saul and the army of Israel decided, yeah, well, listen, this is a perfectly good sheep, right? I mean, like, like this is like this cow. Like, why would we kill this cow? Can you imagine the filet mignon that we can have off of this cow? Like, this is a Wagyu cow. I mean, this is awesome. We can't kill this one. And that scrawny one over there, like, oh, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we got that. We'll, we'll destroy that just as you've said, God. But come on, seriously, like, look at this cow. Like, man, we could be having hamburgers for days on this thing, right? 
And so it says that they kept those things alive and they brought them back. And then as a result of that, it says that God rejected Saul as king of Israel. And he told Samuel that he had rejected Saul. Samuel then had to go and deliver the news. Can you imagine what that must have been like? To go to a king in that time to say, oh, by the way, God has rejected you as king. Now, certainly you can imagine the fear that would come from that, right? Because the kings of those days, I mean, read the Old Testament, right? Like, what did kings do in those days when they didn't like you? You know, they didn't put out a press release and kind of criticize you. They didn't put out, a, you know, a, an ad on Facebook about how, you know, they're wrong and I'm right. It wasn't like, you know, this group against that group. No, they just simply killed you. They would slice and dice you. It was like the Ginsu knives of, of you know, political recourse in that day. You, know, like you would be gone. For those of you who don't know Ginsu knives, that just means you're younger. So all of us old people know what Ginsu knives are, right? <clears throat> all right, cool. And so um, that's what they would do. And so, so Samuel was afraid to do it, but he obviously obeyed. And he went and he told Saul, uh, God is done with you. God has rejected you as king, and he has appointed another. He has another in place that is going to replace you. And in the light of that, Saul obviously was, was mortified. And he said, Samuel, why, why don't you just come, and, and, and I know I've done wrong, and we'll go and we'll make a sacrifice together to, you know, to apologize for what I've done to God. We'll, we'll go and we'll make atonement for that, and, and then we'll go back to the people, and, and we'll just go on as life as normal. It'll all be good. I, I'm sorry. I, I'll tell God I'm sorry, but please come back with me so that we can, you know, we can actually like, like just get on with things here and, you know, and, and I, I'm, you know, just find that forgiveness that God I know will give. But but Samuel said, no, no, it's done. It's over. God has said, you're done as the king. And so that passage goes on to say in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that, that then Saul and Samuel, they split ways. So Saul went back to where he was going. Samuel went back to where he was going. And it says this, and they never saw each other again. Now, obviously, when you think about the context of Samuel being the mouthpiece for God, speaking wisdom into the ear of the king, Saul, to now have the situation where that person who represented God now was completely separated and was no longer going to be in the presence of the king ever again. And again, now, they couldn't text. They couldn't send emails. They couldn't call each other. Like, never again would Saul have the ear of God. He would never again be able to hear from God. Can you imagine then, as we see the rest of Saul's life, like why he went nuts, right? Why did he do all the crazy things that he did? It's because he knew that the, the, the power and the anointing and the presence of God had been removed from him. And so it says they split ways, right? And so then we come to what we've read just a moment ago from 1 Samuel chapter 16. And so God says, Samuel, I've got another. And so I want you to go to Bethlehem and I want you to go to Jesse's house because I have anointed one of his sons as the next king. Now, remember now, Samuel was afraid, remember, Samuel was afraid to go to Saul because of the message that God said, I want you to deliver, right? But now think of the message that God is asking Samuel to deliver. Now he's asking Samuel, oh, by the way, Saul's still king, right? He's still in charge of the army. He's still in control. But you, Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem, which is like four or five miles south of, of Jerusalem. I want you to go there, and because there you're going to find a family. And when you find that family, one of the sons of that family, I have anointed that one as king. I want you to go and anoint him as king. And Samuel's like, wait, excuse me, wait a minute. Like, if I do that, like, Saul's already nuts. He's already mad at me. He's going to come kill me. And so 
clearly God said, no, go. Just do what I tell you to do. Go and, and offer a sacrifice there. Go and do what you're supposed to do and recognize, like, this is my plan. So Samuel does what God tells him. Samuel travels to Bethlehem, and he goes there. And when he arrives there, now remember now. Oh, by the way, there's one part of the story I didn't tell you. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15, and this is why we come to this little part of this story here. Uh, so when, when Samuel heard that Saul had disobeyed God, when Samuel heard that he had kept the best of all of the Amalekites and that he had kept the king Agag alive, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, the end of that passage, that he had King Agag brought before him and Saul. And it says that Samuel chopped him up in little pieces, like, like literally sliced and diced King Agag, right? Now, the reason I bring that up is because now when Samuel arrives in Bethlehem, and the elders of that city see Samuel walking into the city and they'd heard about what King Agag had gone through and they heard about King Agag had literally been, you know, like, like cut down to little pieces, right? It says that they were afraid. Now, can you imagine why they were afraid? Samuel, like in the days before this, had killed the king by chopping him up in little pieces and now he shows up in their town. Like, yeah, I would be afraid too. But it says that, that Samuel came and they said, are you coming in peace? Like, I can just see him now. Hey, wait a minute. Are you, are you coming in peace? And he says, yeah, I'm here in peace. I'm here to sacrifice to God. And, of course, everything got better then. He said, so we're going to go and sacrifice. So set yourselves apart. Consecrate yourselves. And then he went. And this is an important part of this passage. And this is where we're going to jump into the application for each and every one of us today. It says that he went to Jesse and he consecrated Jesse. And listen to this. And he consecrated, consecrated all of Jesse's sons for this time of sacrifice and for this time of anointing of the next king. Now, did you catch what I just said? It says that Samuel anointed Jesse and all of Jesse's sons. Now, here's the important thing we need to recognize. There was one son that was not present and there was one son that was not consecrated in that moment. And that brings us to like how we can actually apply this into our lives. So just keep that little fact of information, kind of stick it back in your mind. Make sure that you remember that little part because that is going to be very important as it relates to how we can apply this principle of how we can chase the heart of God, how it can be applicable in our own lives. So here's the first thing this passage tells us. God is not limited by our limitations. God is not limited by our limitations. And remember the story, right? Samuel shows up. And he, he goes to Jesse's house. He consecrates Jesse and all Jesse's sons. And he says, hey, bring, bring your boys before me. Bring them all in front of me here. And so first Elib shows up and then Abinadab and then Shema. And he's like, no, none of them. And then all the rest of them, no, it's not him. It's not him. It's not him. It's not him. Seven sons that were brought before, uh, Je uh, before Samuel. And says, so like, it's not any of these guys. Like, this doesn't make sense because God told me that he already anointed one of your sons. Like, I don't understand it. Like, like is there another one? Look what it says in verse 11. In verse 11, Samuel asked him, are these all the sons that you have? And then Samuel responded, well, they're still the youngest. Isn't that interesting? Jesse hadn't even considered that David could even be the one that God wanted to see. 
Jesse hadn't even thought about it because David was out in the fields. He was with the sheep. He was doing his job. He was taking care of the flocks, which now, pull that little factoid that I gave you a few moments ago, pull it back out. So it says this, is it that Samuel anointed Jesse and all of his sons, which son was not consecrated before God in this season of sacrifice, in this season of anointing? Which one was not consecrated? David. And so you think, well, obviously, if David wasn't consecrated, if he wasn't prepared for this, like, obviously, he's not the one. God is not limited by our limitations. David was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. In fact, in part of David's writings over the Psalms, listen to what it says in Psalm 22, verses 6 and 7. David said of himself, but I'm a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and they shake their heads. Got to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Is that passage still up there? Leave it up there for a moment. I want you to read that again. But I am a worm and not a man. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you were of no consequence whatsoever in the world in which you live and and in the context where you do life, maybe at school or maybe at work or maybe even in your own home? David said, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind. Scorned means ridiculed, like put down, like you're of no value. Remember what Jesse did? Jesse brought all of his sons together and they consecrated them before God. Oh, except for David that he didn't even think about. David was out in the fields taking care of the sheep and Jesse didn't even bother to send for him when Samuel showed up. Now understand, when Samuel showed up, it'd be like if the president of the United States showed up at your door. Like, well, maybe not this one. But if the president of the United States showed up at your door and that was like a really big deal, right? I mean, like, you're like, you're, obviously, if the president shows up, you're going to be like in awe. Like, your, your mouth is going to drop open. Like, you're going to gather all your family together. You're going to pull out your phone and you're going to take pictures. Like, it's a big deal, right? I mean, like, this is like the most amazing thing that's ever happened to your family that the president has shown up at your home. That's like what it was when Samuel showed up. And Jesse didn't even think, oh, I probably ought to get my other son. Like, I probably ought to go get him and let him be a part of this experience well, as well. No. David's words here were not just like the musings of a person who was like feeling sorry for themselves on a pity party. These were actually feelings that had been displayed to him by his own family. I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and they shake their heads like he'd experienced that even in his own home. Have you ever felt that? Let me tell you this really quick. God is not limited by your limitations. When you think of you're of no value whatsoever and God can't use you because of what you've done or what you've gone through or what others think of you, understand this, God is not limited by that. You could be like David out in the fields taking care of the sheep while your, your, your family or your friends or, or those around, like they're back and they're hanging out with the president and all is well and they're taking their pictures and they're posting on Instagram and they're like doing all this really cool stuff and experiencing like this perfect life and you're over here thinking like nobody cares about me and I'm not good enough and nobody wants to be around me. I am scorned by mankind. I am a worm. God is not limited by your limitations. And whether it's self-imposed limitations or the limitations that others put on you, God is not limited by what you go through. So that's the first thing we need to recognize about the life of David in this early part of his life. 
The second thing is this. God's calling is greater than our failings. Now, we're going to talk a lot about David's failings because this man after God's own heart had a lot of failings, didn't he? We're going to talk about that in the days to come. Like, he blew it a lot. But God's calling is not, God's calling is greater than our failings. Look what it says in verse 11, the second part of that verse. And he answered Jesse, but right now he's out tending the sheep. Like, like Jesse said, David's out doing what he's fit for. Like he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's doing what he's meant to do. Like that is as good as he is, is to take care of the sheep. And so what this passage tells us clearly is this, is that we recognize that, that Jesse thought of David like, like, yeah, he's the guy taking care of the crops, which is an important job. It's a big deal, but he's not important enough to be standing here. He's not as big a deal here. But we have to recognize like God's calling is greater than our failings. Like even in the things that we do that, that limit ourselves, the things where we fail, where we have put ourselves in little boxes over here, like where we're not good enough, we think, to show up over there when Samuel shows up at the house. Look what David wrote in Psalm 32. He says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. In Psalm 51, verse 1, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt, David said. Cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion. In other words, he knew what his sins were. He knew where he was messing up. And my sin is always before me. In other words, he was always struggling with sin, struggling with failing, struggling with not meeting up to the expectations that others have. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right, David said, when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. The picture that we get here, David made very clear. It's like, hey, I am a sinner and I mess up and I blow it all the time. And yes, man, every single time, like I'm always struggling with this failing. But here's the interesting thing that we get from this passage. Is that in light of that, in light of his failing, in light of all the mess-ups that David had throughout his life, and even to this point, here's what we need to recognize. God's calling is greater than any of those failings. Now, how is that applicable, applicable to us? Here's why. Because everybody sitting in this room today has dealt with at some point in your life where you felt like, I'm not good enough because of what I've done. I'm not good enough because of my sin. I have messed up too much. Like, there's no way I can do that because of what I did there. Like, what I did here, it disqualifies, disqualifies me from doing what I can do here. God's calling is greater than your failing. The minute that you believe that you are disqualified from serving God and walking with God because of something you've done is the minute that you begin to cheapen the calling of God and rather depend on the lies of Satan. Because Satan's goal is to make you believe you have messed up too much, you have blown it. David said, man, I have sinned so much. Man, it's always right before me, right in front of my eyes. Man, this sin's incredible. But I confess it, God. And I put it back in your hands, God. And you forgive me, God. 1 John 1, 9. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins, to clean you from all your righteousness. Like, how awesome is it to know that no matter what we have done, it can never be enough that we can never long, no longer be used by God. God's calling is greater than our failings. The third thing we see in this passage is this. 
God never anoints the incompetent. God never anoints the incompetent. Go back to this passage, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him, David, in the presence of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Now remember, David was the least. He was the youngest. He was the one that was like not even considered or thought about that we ought to send for him when Samuel showed up. The one that Jesse had even forgotten about. The one that had not been consecrated, like set apart as being special. Like the one that everyone considered, oh, oh yeah, like, well, yeah, we've got another brother, but, but he's taking care of the sheep. Like, that's all he's good for. But look what it says again. So Samuel anointed him. And the power, for, power of God, the Spirit of the Lord, came powerfully on David from that day forward. And here's how that's possible. Go back to verse 7. Verse 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Be honest with yourself. How many times have you seen someone, looked at someone, maybe, maybe as you're driving down the street, maybe, maybe when you walked into church here today, or maybe when you've walked into a restaurant or your place of work or school, and you have immediately judged them by what you saw? Like, I'm, I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm not asking for, like, you know, testimony time here. But we've all done it, haven't we? Where we have looked at someone and we've judged them by the way that they look or by the way that they've acted or maybe by what they've even said, that they're of no value that they don't deserve to be here, that they don't deserve to have the right to be used by God. I mean, come on, seriously, God's not going to use them, right? God can't use them. Look what they've done. Look, look what they look like. Like, look what they have experienced. Like, there's no way God's going to use them. But the Lord said, not Jonathan said, not Samuel said, the Lord said, don't look at his appearance. Or his stature, which, by the way, is an important thing because it's talking about stature is like, like how, how he stands, right? If you go back to remember when Saul was chosen, remember what it said about Saul? Like he was a good-looking guy, right? And it said he stood head and shoulders above everybody. He was taller than anybody. Like he walked in the room and like, man, he took over the room, right? Don't look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. Humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. God never calls you or anoints you if you think you're incompetent. God never anoints the incompetent. Why? Because all of us are competent before God. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writing concerning this, I pled with the Lord three times that it would leave me. Talking about that, that thorn in the flesh. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in my weaknesses, insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. Listen to this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God never anoints the incompetent because every person is competent when it comes to a person who is filled by the power and the Spirit of God. Every single one of you, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how you've acted, doesn't matter how you look, God, if he is present in your life, if you are a child of God, and the spirit of God lives within you, you are competent, not because of who you are, but because of what God has done in and through you, your new creation. All the old has passed away and everything is made new. 
So let me read this passage and then we'll close. Psalm 22, David's writings again. Remember David sitting there thinking, like he believed what people thought about him. Like I'm not good enough. Like I'm a worm, right? But listen to what it said in Psalm 22. We talk about chasing the heart of God. In Psalm 22, verse six, he says, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and they shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save me. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. Now I want you to hear these words because this is where chasing the heart of God begins. It was you, God, who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth and you have been my God from my mother's womb. So how do we chase the heart of God? How do we become a man or a woman after God's own heart? It is not by your talent. It is not by your wealth. It is not by your power. It is not by your job. It is not by where you were born or in what family that you were born into. It is not by your looks. It is not by how tall you are. It is not how good looking you are. It is not any of the things that the world says that they look at and that they evaluate you based on. It's not based on any of that stuff. Here's what it's based on. Chasing the heart of God being a man or woman after God's own heart is what God does in and through you later starts now. That you make him your God now. That you understand and recognize that in the smallest of moments, when David was out taking care of the sheep, guess who his God was? When David was out being ignored by his own family, what was important to David? He says it right here. You have been my God from my mother's womb. In other words, God was the most important thing in his life. God was actually his God. And yet so many of us make other things our gods. You want to chase after God's own heart? You want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Start today, long before you know, being standing on a stage long before you have the opportunity of walking into the castle as David did, long before you are made king after the death of Saul, like long before all that stuff, David actually said it and lived it out. He is my God. And he ran after him in the quiet, secret moments. And in the quiet, secret moments, that is where the great moments are formed. Chasing after God's own heart doesn't start when you become somebody. Chasing after God's heart starts now. So let's do that together. Father, thank you for how we can learn from people who lived thousands of years ago. God, we don't fully understand the context and the culture in which they live, but we do understand the difficulties and the challenges and the problems they face because we, we face them as well. God, just as David was, we are ridiculed and we are scorned. Just as David was, we are looked down upon and we are made fun of. Just as David was, we are ignored. But God, in the midst of all of that, Father, David kept his heart in the right place and he simply loved and believed in you. God, help us to do likewise. Give us the strength and the courage to make that decision. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, in a moment we're going to stand, the altar is going to be open as it always is. We're going to have the opportunity today to make some decisions.
And I think the decision, honestly, today that probably a lot of us need to make is there probably a lot of us here today that kind of feel like David felt because we feel like people around us feel like Jesse felt. Like we're no value. We're a worm. Insignificant. Unimportant. No one cares. God can't use me. Look what I've done. Look how I've lived. Look how I look. God can't use me. And maybe today there's some decisions that need to be made in this place where you just simply say, so God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you at your word. And I am going to make sure that I'm not worried about what I've done. I'm not worried about the past, nor am I even worried about the future. In fact, we're going to talk about this next week. It's interesting that after David was anointed as the next king, guess what he did? He went back out to the fields and took care of the sheep. They didn't usher them, usher him into the palace. They didn't like walk and put a crown on his head. Like we've seen this week, like Queen Elizabeth died. A day later, King Charles, man, they put the crown upon his head. He's like, he's the new king. That's not what happened to David. No, David went through a lot of stuff before he ever got to that point. So you just simply say today, like, like, like I, I know I have considered myself of no value before God, but today, God, I recognize my immense value, not because of who I am and what I've done, but because of who you are and what you've done. So maybe today some decisions need to be made. God, I'm going to chase after you. Maybe today you need to meet Christ. Maybe today you need to make a decision to believe that Jesus is God, that he died and that he rose again for you. Man, our team is here. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, and introduce you to that God that through his son, Jesus Christ, wants you to have a relationship with him, and it's only through Jesus and Jesus alone. Maybe today that's the decision you need to make. Maybe you want to come for baptism. Maybe you want to come and join our church family. Maybe you want to come and kneel here and just pray for a loved one going through a difficult time. Like Whatever it is, the altar's open. Whatever it is today, like recognize you are a value to God because God doesn't look at the outside. God looks at the heart. So make sure your heart is in the right place. So together, let's stand. The altar is open. Zach, if you would lead us this morning. You may mountains move. You may giants fall. You use songs of praise to shake prison walls. I'll speak to my fear. I will preach to my doubt. of that song are not just words. Those words 
are exactly what God's Word tells us about ourselves because of God's presence. So as you walk out of here today, like don't you ever forget, I don't care what you've been through and I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you look like. I don't care the mistakes that you've made. Here's what I know, that the same God that let David put Goliath on his back with one little pebble is the same God that will tear down the strongholds and the giants in your life. That whatever it is that you face, that God will bring you through. And that God wants to use you. God has called you. God has anointed every single one of us. And if you say, wait a minute, how does God anointed me? Because Jesus said in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts chapter 1, I want you to be a witness for me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. We have been anointed to be his evangelist in this world. You have been anointed by God of heaven. So don't you dare walk out of here and you think you're not good enough. Don't you dare walk out of here and think I don't have what it takes. Don't you dare walk out of here and think I am of no value. You are of such value that God allowed his own son Jesus to die for you. And if you don't think that's a big deal, then you are not thinking clearly because that's a big deal. So recognize today when you walk out of here, I am a child of the living King. I am a child of God and God wants to use me and God is going to strengthen me and God is going to give me the wisdom that I need. He's going to give me the ability that I need. He's going to give me the words to say. He's going to give me the talent that I need. God is going to give me exactly what I need so that I can go out of here and I can change my world. You are a child of God. So walk out of here today with your head held high and live like it. The altar's open. God bless you and have a great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.